Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. As we continue to talk about the U.S. economy, the new wrinkle in this is not new. It's just happening again is the debt ceiling and the possibility of defaulting on debt. And this is it is partially a scare tactic. And it is on both sides. It's a game of chicken on both sides of the political aisle. One side talks about the doom and gloom, which is a reality that is coming if we don't raise the debt ceiling. Um, I've compared it and I did it earlier this morning. I've compared it to to on a much smaller scale in Arizona. We have the aggregate expenditure expenditure limit for education. Last year, it was the last week of the legislative session that both the House and the Senate with two-thirds majority overrode this law. And so this law was put in place through a ballot initiative in the 1980s that set limits, and it increases for inflation, and it has every single year, on how much money can be spent on education in Arizona. Now, the voters in 1980 thought this was a valuable thing to put into the Arizona Constitution, so they passed the initiative. Now, I can go down the road of my hatred for the propositional form of government we have. I think it's a lazy form of government, and it ties the hand to the legis- hands of the legislature. Um, but it is much like the debt ceiling in this regard, that it has to be voted by two-thirds majority – to override it or money that is already allocated to be spent cannot be spent. There is a limit by law of how much you can spend. That's what the debt ceiling is. It is a limit on how much money the federal government can borrow to pay its bills. And when you reach that debt ceiling, you have to have a vote in Congress in order to override it, in order to extend and raise the debt ceiling. But where the scare tactic comes in is that we're hearing about how what a nightmare it could be, but it's just a game of chicken. I think, I believe wholeheartedly that the Arizona legislature, before the deadline, will vote away uh, at least to postpone or override temporarily so that the money can be spent, the aggregate expenditure limit. I think it's political suicide not to do it. There will be negotiations. There will be wrangling. There will be arguments. There will be threats. All of that is going to happen. But just like last year, I believe it's going to get done. Same with raising the debt ceiling. But the problem is, and the Republicans are saying the right things in my Estimation, which is we have to rein in spending. The problem is there's a bit of hypocrisy here because the Republicans have been part of the spending problem for years as well. And I'm you're talking, you're listening to a lifelong Republican here. And there there is no reining in the spending. Um, the arguments over what the government should spend money on are viable arguments. That's what the two parties are there for, divvying up the money that the American people put into the United States Treasury. Now you have the money. Figure out how to best spend it. But they don't. What they do is continue to go into debt to pay for pet projects. I also pulled out a story that talked about another uh, issue of government waste and 160-something billion dollars in stolen money from COVID relief. Now, that's on a lot of the American people. Let's be honest. If you're someone that didn't need a PPP loan and you took one just because it was available, shame on you. If you are someone that took advantage or lied to the system because money was available and it wasn't being tracked very closely, shame on you. I mean that. Shame on you. Um, But when you have people that are stealing – And there isn't oversight to catch the stealing until years later. That's a systemic problem. 
just like we talked about the the uh, 200 and some billion dollars in lost equipment by the Department of Defense or in the Pentagon's budget. Uh, all of these things show the lack of oversight and responsibility by the government. So while the American people argue, and we do, and both sides of the aisle, we argue as individuals and we watch our representation argue in D.C. about whether or not this needs to be raised and what negotiation is going to have, let's not forget that you know we could, without decreasing the amount of money we send without tax cuts, if we were to get rid of government waste, government redundancy, and complete lack of oversight, there's billions and just in the last couple of days, I've given you almost $400 billion in examples in just two stories. In just two stories. And that's just, it is incredible that as American people, we aren't saying, A, you're spending way too much money, and B, there's no oversight of what you have. If it was anything else, you wouldn't invest in a business. You know, you're someone, let's say you're someone, my, I have a friend who um, I have some money with that uh, that um, he invests for me because he's really good at his job. And so um, we get together. We've been friends for a long time. Um, if he wasn't paying attention, he's my friend. But if he wasn't paying attention, I'd fire him. Nothing personal, but this is my money. This is my future. This is my investment. I, you need to be taking good care of it. It's the reason why I went there in the first place. If you had a if you had a financial advisor that was mismanaging your money and, and not in, not doing homework on the stocks that they invested in, investing in companies that were operating like this, could you imagine having a financial advisor that advised you to take your hard earned money that you're setting aside for your retirement and invest in a company? company that runs like this, that has debt that it runs up every year, it runs at a deficit every single year, that they have no oversight of their money, they've got, forget billions of dollars, millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost equipment. I have a friend who owns an equipment rental company, um, valley-wide, big company, and they rent lifts and they rent uh, front-end loaders. They Every bit of heavy equipment you would need for a job site, that's what they do. They rent out equipment to people, lifts and all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine – if he was starting to look at his books and the people that he has running his facilities around the valley and there was one piece of equipment, just one. You got a piece of equipment that is a, a man lift or a boom lift that is worth probably eight, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars, and he said, Hey, where is this lift? And the the person in charge said, I have no idea. We have no idea where that is. You'd fire him. It's a $12,000 piece of equipment. What do you mean? Your job is to know where it is. Your job is to make sure it gets to people, that those people have an operating piece of equipment, that they're billed properly and in a timely fashion, that they pay their bill. And when they're done using it, you send somebody with a truck to go pick it up and bring it back here so it's safe. And if it's missing, your job is to report it stolen. And yet we have billions of dollars in equipment lost every single year because we don't have that kind of oversight in the government. It's a systemic problem. It is part of the issue of government. But here we are arguing about our debt ceiling and how much more debt we're going to go into and the horrors. And I, I do believe it is absolutely um, – we absolutely uh, need to make sure that we rein in spending. But it, it's going to be a disaster if we don't raise the debt ceiling. There's no doubt about it. But at what point do the American people say to both parties, we're done? 
We are done giving you credit cards. We're cutting up the credit card. You're going to have a finite amount of money to work with. You're going to divvy that money up as the best way you can. And if we don't think you're divvying it up the right way, we'll replace you. And if we do think you're doing a good job, you'll get your job back in two years in the House or every six years in the Senate. And it's our responsibility in the end. And I just don't think we're living up to it. I just don't think we are. Um, We're going to talk about guns in a moment. Another great story of a law-abiding citizen with a gun stopping a crime. We'll get to that story coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. By the way, Julia, I've got a great idea. I have a great idea, Julia. Uh, Julia is our resident uh, climate activist, and and she, you are. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I, I I I you're one of the people I was talking I just about got a earlier from when, her office. when I said. Um, you're one of the people that I admire because you actually practice what you preach. So um, I have an idea. So we know that there's a story out there that in France they're putting diapers on cows to stop methane. I know it's before your time, but I'm going to give you a little history lesson. In the 1970s and in the early 80s, we had two different kinds of gasoline. It used to just be leaded. It was called regular gasoline. And so you either had regular and then they made a switch and they made a switch and they were car manufacturers had to put what's called a catalytic converter on a car. And it, it, you, we then went to unleaded fuel. So for a long time, you had to ask a customer, do you want leaded or unleaded gasoline? So I think what we should do, and we're going to be rich, and I want you to be a part of it because I want you to rep the product because you are a climate activist. We are going to come up with something called a cowtolytic converter. We're going to put them on cows, and we're going to convert the methane instead of diapers. Really? Yeah, a catalytic converter. I think it. I think it's a genius idea. I don't. I don't know. About Attach that. it to a cow, so whenever they expel the gas through the converter, cleans it up into the air. Uh, no. Okay. All right. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll all talk right. after I'll the show. Negotiations. You all read right. that article first. And I then will. We'll talk. I will. Um, all right. So back to the topic at hand. Uh, there is a an attempted robbery in Avondale, um, and, and I see these stories quite a bit, a little bit more often in some of the other publications. But an attempted robbery at an Avondale gas station was stopped in its tracks when an employee behind the counter shot the suspect after the man brandished a gun at him. Um, now. All this evidence on either side of an argument is anecdotal. We understand that. Um, the issue for me has always been we have got to stop focusing on law-abiding citizens with guns because that's what gun control does. Because the criminal element does not care. The criminal element, somebody that is looking to commit a crime, if they're going to rob somebody, if they're going to murder somebody, they don't care about any laws. We understand. I mean, that's just common sense that if you are willing to pull a gun and point it at someone to steal their property, you don't care of whether that gun in your hand is legally owned or not. You're already committing a violent crime and a serious felony. 
So what we have to do in this country, and we all want the violent crime to end or be dramatically diminished. We want people to treat each other better. But what we have to do when it comes to firearms is stop focusing on how what you're going to tell me I have to do. Because I can promise you, I can promise you, I am not a danger. I'm armed most of the time. Um, I have been my whole life. I'm not paranoid. I'm not looking for trouble. I want to be prepared if I have to protect myself, if I have to protect someone I care about or an innocent person. I want to have the availability, the options, and the possibility to do that. I think it's a responsibility as much as it is a right. And for those of you out there that – and I think – and I've – I want you to understand, I seriously don't mean this as an insult. Gun control activists are largely ignorant of guns. Not dumb. You're not dumb people, but you're ignorant, meaning you don't know what the process is. You don't have any idea what the process is to get a firearm. You don't understand what a a legitimate owner is. So, again, I put the anecdotal evidence out here in Avondale. um, You know, this person behind the counter brandished a firearm and stopped a robbery in progress by shooting a suspect who brandished a firearm. That's a good guy with a gun. We also saw the story recently where a parent was arrested because there was uh, camera footage of a toddler waving a handgun, a loaded handgun around in a house. So we understand that there is anecdotal evidence on all sides of this. Telling me what I have to do and restricting my access or the ability or the uh, what kind of firearms I own comes from a position of ignorance because I can promise you I am not unique in gun ownership. I am just like 99.9% of firearms owners. I'm responsible. I, I take it very seriously. All of those things are true. What we have to do is look at the criminal element. We would dramatically reduce gun crimes if we took guns in the hands of the wrong people seriously. The city of Phoenix did it in a program for a few months in conjunction with the ATF and other agencies where they focused on people that had modified guns that made them illegal, people that were convicted felons that are prohibited possessors. They don't aren't supposed to have guns and people that were selling guns to people illegally. And they took a lot of guns off the street. That's going to go a longer way. A much longer way. I I told this uh, recently I mentioned on the air that 11 police officers in the city of Phoenix um, were shot last year. As recently here this year, a Scottsdale sergeant from the police department was shot making an arrest in Phoenix, but it was a Scottsdale officer that was shot. We know that this is not limited to big agencies. Small agencies suffer these kinds of losses as well. But in all those cases, in every single shooting of those 11 officers, in every incident, the person that committed the crime by shooting a cop was a prohibited possessor. They were someone that already by law wasn't supposed to possess a firearm. So take into consideration the existing gun laws that A, aren't stopping the bad people. What are the new gun laws going to do to stop those bad people? Because I am in the same boat you are. I'm sick of seeing stories about kids getting killed. I'm sick of seeing accidental deaths. I'm sick of seeing all of these crimes being committed by violent people. I want to see them end just like you do. I'm just telling you I have a different perspective. That looking at the gun owners I know, we are not the problem. We certainly are not dangerous. As a matter of fact, I would even make the argument we're an asset to a safe society. 
We've got to focus on the people that continue to have firearms that are prohibited by law that we give a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance to, and they com- continue to commit violent crimes. Focus there, and we would see a drop in crime. In a moment, a new program to make it easier to get a degree. Is it something that you would do? We'll talk about it next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, a quick reminder, if you believe you have the oldest AC in the valley, you could win a brand new high-efficiency air conditioner with an air purifier courtesy of the good people at Day and Night Air Conditioning. All you have to do to enter is text the word DAY, that's D-A-Y, to 411-92-3. Um... There was a deal that was cut by our former governor, Ducey, in his final acts, one of his final acts when he before he left office, that could give hundreds of thousands of local students a chance at higher education. So this is an interesting story. You can go and read it, and I hope you will. Uh, if you've not been over recently to uh, KTAR.com, uh, Taylor Tassler wrote this story, and uh, it's just it's a great story. They have a lot of really good information over there, uh, so check out on the website. Um, the, uh, Ducey signed a memorandum of understanding with Western Governors as University, opening the door for an Arizona chapter and an estimated 600,000 adults to get a degree. Now, WGU is described as a competency-based university, meaning students can study on their own schedule with no required login or class times. Um, the regional vice president of the school is saying that students could also set their own learning pace, take assessments when they are ready. Here's a quote. Uh, as you progress through the coursework and materials, when you feel that you can demonstrate mastery of the skills and competency, you can simply contact your program mentor and have a discussion and schedule to take the final. Um, Not a bad idea, but what it is more of an example of is how education is changing, both at the primary education level and at secondary education, that we are seeing the world is changing. And in the digital world we live in and the the way people spend their time and how things are different now, we are seeing education models shift to adjust to the desires of of the society that they serve. I don't think that this is going to be a threat to the state universities or the classic education. But for some people with very big time constraints, if you work one or two jobs, if you're someone that's got some time to do things and there's a course study that you want to go into where you could work at your own pace, that's this might be an advantage for someone that's going to take three years to get a two, you know, to get an associate's degree or six years to get a bachelor's degree. Um, it's not because you're failing classes. You're just going at a slower pace. It might be something. Um, this story about education, while we're on the topic of education, I found uh, – to be interesting. Um, Arizona's K through 12 funding enrollment changes since fiscal year of 2019 include uh, after universal ESA expansion. So we are seeing that um, actual public school district enrollment has declined by nearly 31,000 students since 2019, according to the Arizona Department of Education. Over the same period, public charter school enrollment has increased by about 20,000. And since last year, another 20,000 students appear to be on track to enroll in the state's empowerment scholarship accounts. 
Um, so Arizona's combination of open enrollment, district and charter per pupil public school funding formulas, and ESA programs were all attempts to institutionalize the idea that state funding support for primary education should follow the student. So what this study is showing me in numbers is that giving parents a choice, some of them are taking advantage of it. I, again, I don't believe that the public school district school model is going anywhere. I really don't. Growing up the way I did, I think we'd want our kids to do the same thing. Kids are distanced enough. You know, um, it's interesting watching my nephew. I have a nephew that's a freshman in high school and watching him grow up. He is such a cool kid and uh, playing high school basketball. He's a freshman on the varsity basketball team and he's just uh, he's just a cool kid. And um Watching him with his friends, uh, he spends a lot of time. Now, he's got friends. They interact. He plays sports. He does all this. Um, uh, he, he does all of this um, extended on video games, but they also are in person. He's not one of those people that's completely isolated. But they connect differently. They connect online. They connect video games where they're chatting with the microphones. It's a different time. And so anytime you can get kids involved in one-on-one contact where you get them contacting each other and being in touch with each other physically in the same place together, it's better. And um, when you, I don't think those district schools are going away. Neighborhood schools where you live in the same area, you ride the same school buses, you're in the same classes, you know, that, I don't think that's ever going away. But we are seeing when parents are saying, I don't like what's happening in the district schools, I want to go to this charter school. The, the uprising of what they call traditional schools is interesting to me to call something a traditional school where they stick more to the core curriculum and not so much of the other curriculums that are in the public school system. Doesn't make them bad. It means that there are parents out there that are saying that's not right for my kid. My child needs a more focused, intensive curriculum that focuses on reading and all the basics. And so parents have a right to that. And we're seeing in Arizona, they're moving from district schools somewhat. But if those schools end up serving the public the right way, why would a parent send their kid across town? Why wouldn't they have their children in the same school in the neighborhoods where they live? That's just the way it goes. And so I think that eventually that's what this is going to do. It is going to bring the district schools in line with what the parents want. Instead of saying this is what we do and you're going to be here and it's our curriculum, it's going to be more of a relationship where we have got to serve the public. We've got to serve the needs of the families. And if we've got a lot of families that are saying we don't like that, we're going to have to start listening. I don't think that's bad at all. And uh, I, I love the idea of school choice. We're seeing now in higher education the different ways, you know, with online learning and the different ways people are getting an education to get that college degree. It's phenomenal. Does that mean that the university system's in trouble? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that the people going to ASU at a, as a freshman that you stay in the dorms and you have to be in the dorms and you get a standard four-year college degree at a place like ASU, U of A, NAU? Absolutely not. But when you have the online platform that they have at a GCU, when you've got Arizona Christian University that offers so much of a different course of action at that expressly Christian university, it just gives them options for families that say, I would much rather have my child at Arizona Christian University. Now, they're adults, but they're still, you know, in your parents' mind, you're still a child. I want my son or my daughter in an environment like Arizona Christian University, certainly not a threat to the university system, but a great option.
for some families. And the more options we give people, the more viable options we give people in education, the better off we are. Uh, you know my attachment to the CTEDs, to the EVITs of the world, the East Valley Institute of Technology, the career technical education districts, where they're giving younger students, high school students, an option in the 10th grade, hey, come here and go through a program that teaches you a skill. So you go through your coursework at your school all day long, and then you come over to EVIT and you take these classes whether it's in the culinary arts or you're going to be a cosmetologist or whatever it is, you come here and learn a skill set. Just another phenomenal option for some people. And the options aren't ever a bad thing and making them out to be the demise of the public school system. I will say to you that the only reason why the public school system would diminish greatly or go away would be because they don't adjust to what's happening where everyone else is adjusting. That's all. And we'll see. I'm anxious to see if they do it. Um, Coming up in a moment, uh, what is the Transitional Record Analysis Center? What is TRAC? We talked about it earlier, but we'll dive into more of it. Are they surveilling your money transfers without your knowledge? We'll get to it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A lot of credit where credit's due. Uh, Joe Dane over Channel 12 did a great job covering this story. <clears throat> it's also uh, been published. Uh, I believe it, uh, we got the story, the written story, and we have some audio of it. Uh, Channel 12 looking into the ACLU saying that there is a surveillance program that's been going on since 2010 called TRAC. And the TRAC program is a surveillance, is a financial transaction or, or transfer um, surveillance program that is encompassing lots and lots of people. Not just here in Arizona, but across the country. So what is TRAC? This is Joe Dana again from Channel 12 talking about it. The program is known as the Transaction Record Analysis Center, or TRAC. Its existence is coming as a shock to many Americans today. Former Attorney General Mark Burnovich turned over public records to the ACLU before he left office, revealing details it's been in place since 2010. The database contains millions of financial transactions of people wiring money in and out of Arizona. So the uh, the current attorney general, her office released a statement through a spokesperson, said that it has been an effective tool in fighting money laundering, sex trafficking, drug trafficking cases, cases for over a decade. Now, that may be true. The question is whether or not it's an invasion of privacy. So here's the quote, a spokesperson for the attorney general's office. Courts have held that customers using money transmitter businesses do not have the same expectation of privacy as traditional banking customers. While Attorney General Mays values privacy, she will continue to utilize this tool to protect the people of Arizona. So, um, again, do, do people that are using a private bank and transferring money, do they have a reasonable expectation of privacy in that transfer? That's one thing. But what about Western Union or some of these other programs? Is there the same expectation of privacy? According to the Attorney General's office, they're saying no, they don't have, the courts have said, you don't have that same reasonable expectation of privacy. This is where, again, how much privacy can the government invade in the interest of public safety? Um, and this is – do you have to have – should you have a reasonable expectation of wrongdoing? Um, it is a great question. 
and illegal minds, not me. I'm not a lawyer, but I look at this and I think this is this would be a little worrisome if you uh, you know I've, I I don't think I've ever used Western Union. I don't think I ever have. But if you had to, you know, I use the same money transfer things that you use. I use PayPal or I use my bank. I use Zelle quite a bit uh, to transfer money, and I have an expectation that you you're not going to look into my my money transfers. And and do does a reasonable person say if I use PayPal or I use Venmo or I use Western Union or I use – do I have the same reasonable expectation of privacy? And that's where the rub is. In the end, we can invade people's privacy because we think they might be doing something wrong. Again, suspicious activity. I, I told a story earlier where I was accused once in my youth of being a drug dealer. And it was really funny because I've never – honestly, I've never – I would tell you. I'm pretty honest about my childhood. I've never done drugs. Not one. I've never even smoked weed. Not once. And um, and it's not that I didn't inhale. And I just, I've never done it. But because of circumstances and perception, um, I was about a 20-year-old, 19, 20-year-old kid. I was driving a brand new car because I had gotten a settlement from an insurance from a crash, a car crash I was in. I bought a new car, and I invested in a teen center, in a business, video games, music, dancing, pool tables, um, pinball machines for kids for a safe place on the weekends to come hang out. We charged a cover charge. We had a DJ and it lasted for a while. It was fun. But there was a church next door that because of the perception, here is this really young guy with a brand new car invested in this business. And I was accused of dealing drugs out of this business. Not Officially, There was no cops that visited me, but that was the rumor that was being spread by this church that I was a drug dealer trying to get the kids, the parents to keep their kids out of there. And it was laughable, absolutely laughable. But imagine if that perception had actually led somewhere. Imagine if that church had reached out to the local police and said, hey, this guy, how weird is this? You got this young guy that's got a brand new vehicle and he's got to invested in this business and kids are going in and out of there. He's got to be a drug dealer. Wouldn't it be amazing? If just based on that limited amount of information that the local police in that town tapped our phones or put bugs in our club, that would be weird, right? That would be a little disconcerting that someone assumed, made an assumption, and it motivated the government to do something about it. Now, I don't know that this goes to that extent, and let's be honest, we all want to stop the sex trafficking and human trafficking and drugs and all of these things. We want them to stop. But is this program constitutional? We have reached out to the attorney general's office, and it's our hope that we can get a, have a conversation with her. Um, and again, it's not that they aren't getting back to us. We didn't reach out until this morning. So we've not heard back yet on whether or not we can try to get her on. We've also reached out to the person at the ACLU that's quoted in the story because we want to look deeper because this is an Arizona-based program, but it's not limited to people in Arizona. It covers people outside California, New Mexico, Texas. And so is this program something – because the ACLU is demanding that it be shut down immediately. The attorney general's office says we're not shutting anything down, that there's no – the courts have already weighed in on this. We have every right to do it. It's a valuable tool. It is making it easier to do our job and shut some of these things down, so we're going to continue to do it. it. It is definitely worth the conversation. Um, very quickly, why is the ACLU concerned? This is, uh, again, the report from Joe Dana. They're very firm that this amounts to government overreach, abuse of the legal system, and that it targets – 
marginalized communities, people who don't use traditional banking systems, even Americans who prefer just wiring money to friends and family for legitimate purposes. And I don't think it targets those people at all. I think, again, that's part of the the political argument. But there is some validity to the fact that just because you're doing this doesn't mean they have a right to take your information. I can't wait to see how this works out. I think this is another one of those privacy issues. Just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about the U.S. economy. We'll talk about the debt ceiling, and we'll talk about inflation. These are big things happening. We also have Did You Hear This coming up in the next hour of the show. So please, stick around.